0: Well, I'm so glad you're here with us today. You know, uh, 2020 is kind of a funky year. We know that, right? COVID's weird. Uh, elections coming up. Everybody's kind of volatile and at each other's throats a little bit in the media. And it's we're all kind of tired of it, right? Right. A little worn out well, I want to tell you something I kind of missed this year that I, I was a little frustrated that we didn't have you know our family as you know uh, maybe you don 't know, but we, we adopted um, Thai in March and and over the last year we've had to take two trips to Taiwan uh, I was looking at a picture from Christmas in Taiwan last year. And one of the things I remember from that trip, and I would have, wish I would have thought ahead a little bit, was that we had to go through Tokyo both times, which Tokyo is a giant airport, and you've got to take this tram all the way around. And I think if I tried to walk it, it would be like you know walking a couple miles or something. I don't know. It was a big airport. But they had these signs up all over the trams as you went, and it said, Tokyo 2020 right Olympics 2020 and you know I'm kind of disappointed we didn't have Olympics this year anybody else or is it just me okay a few of you right now Olympics are fun now we are promised that we'll have them in 2021 I think I hope but I love the Olympics I'm the kind of guy that I'll stay up especially at Tokyo Olympics who knows what'll happen I'll probably be up a little bit some things that I want to see one of my favorite things in the Olympic Games is relays now I don't know why I like these so much or why I even like the Olympics so much. I think it started, you know, as a kid watching them. But then several years ago, I was in a youth ministry and our senior minister looked at me and said, hey, you're going to be my assistant track coach. (laughs) And I went, what? He's like, yeah, I coach junior high track. You're going to be my assistant. I'm like, I don't know anything about track, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're crazy here. And he said, no, I want you to teach it. I, I want to teach you how to do this because then you'll be with junior hires every day on the track. You get a little more opportunity and you're going to be my assistant. I'm like, okay. And a couple years later, he said, hey, I'm done. It's yours. I'm going, okay. So uh, I, one of the lesser known things about me is that I got to coach junior high track for several years. So I, I love it. But one of the things with track and especially the Olympics that you see and you talk about is a relay race. Now, a relay race is not designed for one person to run a race by themselves. It's designed for a team, usually of four people, to run their leg, to hand off a baton to somebody else, and to continue the race. It might be a four by 100 team where they run one lap combined, and it's Blazing fast and fun to watch. It may be a three thousand two hundred meter relay where everybody runs two miles and then hands it off. I mean, which one would you rather do? So some of you might be just as quick at the four by one hundred as you are at the two mile, right? I mean, who knows? Uh, that didn't go over well. I'll drop that for next time. So, but I love relays. I love watching this because it's it's one of the only events in track that is a team event now if you know anything about track and field it's how you do in your individual race will compile the score at the end to see who actually won but in a relay race everybody has to run everybody has to make sure they hand the baton off well everybody has to make sure that they do their job so the team wins it's very similar in our faith this particular baton was given to me may of 2017 right here on this platform. Steve, retiring from 40 years of ministry, of youth ministry, when I'm coming in to follow him, and he figuratively and literally handed me the baton of ministry at Osage in that capacity. Now that's changed a little bit, but this baton means something to me because it meant the passing of one ministry to another. Today we are looking at Elijah and Elisha. Really wrapping up this look that we've taken at Elijah's life over the last few weeks. This great prophet and who he was. And where we last left him, he was on a mountain. God spoke to him in the silence and said, Go anoint this guy king of Syria, go anoint this guy king of Israel, and go anoint Elisha to follow after you. We're going to pick up the story in Second Kings chapter 2 today, talking about what it means to carry the baton of faith. And how we see this both in their story and our own. I want to show you this. If you turn there, 2 Kings chapter 2, it's page 307 in the Bible in front of you. Or if you're online on the UVersion app, you can just click on their events and find it local, and everything should be there for you as well. Second Kings, I'll give you a moment, chapter 2. This is a great story. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elisha and Elijah, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. First of all, do you see the context here? Like we know Elijah is going away soon. God is about to take him by a whirlwind. And everybody we come across in this story knows that it's about to happen. Context. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, "'Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel, the house of God.' But Elisha said, "'As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you.' So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, "'Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you?' And he said, "'Yes, I know it. Keep quiet.'" And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, what shall I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, please let, me be, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me, which I still maybe don't understand. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces, in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan, and he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the prophets, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. We see in this story the passing of the baton from one generation to the next, from one prophet to another. God had told Elijah previously, here's what I want you to do. Go anoint Elisha to be the prophet after you, to be the one who carries the torch, carries the baton, who takes up the mantle, whatever you want to call it, who says, I will go next. What we skipped over in the story is when Elisha is called He goes and he sacrifices the oxen. He burns the carts. Everything that he was using for farming at that time. And he says, I am leaving everything behind to go and follow the prophet. And to be a prophet for the Lord. He picked up the baton and he carried it. I want you to see something in this story. Three times we see an interaction. Three times Elijah says to Elisha, hey, uh... I need you to stay here. God has called me on to Bethel. God has called me on to Jericho. God has called me on to the Jordan River. Three times, Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will stay with you. Several times, prophets come. Hey, you know what's happening. Yes, I know. Don't talk about it. Three, as we've talked about numbers the last few weeks, is a significant number in Scripture. Two weeks ago, we talked about the number seven, the number of perfection or completion Last week, we talked about the number 40 being an in inst- uh, inst- talking about, I can't think of the word, talking about uh, suffering or punishment, hardship coming down, the number 40, the number three. In scripture, the number three is meant to give emphasis to something. We see it the most with holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The number three gives emphasis. It says this is something important that you need to see going on that you look at. Balaam's donkey stopped three times in the middle of the road before God opened his mouth to talk. Jonah, three days in the belly of the well. Peter denied Jesus three times and was reinstated three times. Jesus, on the third day, rose again. Three gives emphasis we see the emphasis of this story that Elisha was a stubborn man who refused to leave Elijah. He said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I will stick with you as long as it takes. And across the Jordan River they go. Elijah takes his cloak, slams it down on the water. The Jordan splits and they cross on dry land. They've been at Gilgal, the place where Joshua and Joshua 4 and the Israelites... Had set up 12 stones that they had taken from the very middle of that Jordan River. And it set up there at that place and had become an altar to the Lord, reminding them of his faithfulness to the 12 tribes. They'd gone on to Bethel. Bethel, the place in Genesis 12 where Abraham first builds an altar to the Lord. It's a place that now in the northern kingdom they had made it a place of idols and other gods, but it's significant. Because maybe that's where Jacob's ladder came down. That's a place where the house of the Lord is. And there are still prophets there who follow God. They go on to Jericho. Jericho, where Joshua and the people, after they crossed the Jordan River, had marched around seven times. The walls had fallen in, and God began to give them the promised land. It's the place where Jesus met Lazarus. Not Lazarus, Zacchaeus. It is a place where over and over again, God moved. And then they cross the Jordan. We only have one other story of the Jordan River parting like it did when the priest carried the Ark of the Covenant out and here Elijah and Elisha take the cloak, hit the water, and move on. They go across the river and Elisha and Elijah talk. What do you want? Like, why do you keep sticking with me, Elisha? Why are you here? May I please have a double portion of your spirit? Elijah, that's a hard thing to ask. But if you see me go, then it will be so. Suddenly, as the two men talk, I doubt they were socially distanced. Chariots, fire, horsemen, part the two of them. And God does exactly what we see set up already, and he suddenly takes Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, and his cloak falls to the ground. Elisha cries out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he tears his clothes in two. Then he takes up the cloak because Elijah is no more. He goes to the river and he says, Where is the God of Elijah? And he smacks the water and it parts and he crosses. The baton has been handed from one generation, from one prophet to the next. Now it's our job. We must carry the baton. We must be the ones who take this up. We must be the ones who now carry it on from generation to generation. But in order to carry a baton, you first have to take up the baton. In a relay race, we would teach our runners, our athletes how to take a baton up. We'd, we'd wait, we'd teach them track of field for a while, we'd see who the best runners were, and then we'd say, okay, you're gonna run a relay. Okay, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means you have this spot here to this spot here that you have to get a baton from somebody else and you get to run. Like, it's only a limited amount of space, we're going to teach you how to do this. And we would walk students through this. We'd say, okay, we're going to walk this. Okay, you walk, you get to this person, they're going to start taking off. You hand them the baton. Some people do it under, some people do it over. It doesn't matter. You hand the baton off. Then we jog through it. Then we would sprint through it over and over and over, teaching one student how to hand the baton off to the next. How to say, your, your race, your part of the race is complete, but it continues on. You have to take up the baton." Elisha had to make an intentional decision in this instance to pick up the cloak of Elijah and to carry it to the water to split the Jordan River. He had to make an intentional choice to say, I'm going to be the next one. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to follow. He had to make an intentional choice to sacrifice his oxen. He had to make an intentional choice to actually do what God was asking him to do. He had to take up a baton. We, in turn, have to take up the baton of faith. Elisha didn't stay where he was. You notice that? Elijah's gone. He moves on. And he continued on in his ministry. He took up the baton of faith. I want you to see something. Ephesians 4, if you'd turn there with me. Ephesians 4. I'm actually going to have you turning around a lot. And we're going to be in the New Testament from now on for a little bit. I'll come back later. Second Kings, but really in the New Testament. So if you want to turn there, Ephesians 4, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. He he's showing us something that, that we may not put together that that he's asking us to do, something that Elisha physically does in this instance. Ephesians 4 says this, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Uh, Jew and Gentile was a big deal, different races. Some followed God, some didn't. Basically for us, it's who follows God and who doesn't follow God. For the Gentiles, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. For they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words, they love sin. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off the old self, tear your robes, take them off, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, Elijah dropped his cloak, Elisha picked it up. To be renewed uh, in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you want to carry a baton, you first have to take up the baton. You have to hold it. You have to say, I am intentionally going to follow I'm intentionally going to run my race. As believers, we understand that that means that you have to take up the baton and you have to claim Jesus as your Lord and you've got to hold on to your faith. It's an intentional decision that if Christ came to save, to give us new life, to free us from the bondage of our sin, then we follow him. Elisha's story, Elijah's story are filled with continual choices to take up the baton to follow where God is leading. Elisha killed his oxen and he took up a cloak and he said, I'll do it, I'll follow. I think he's a little scared. I don't know any other reason why he would ask for a double portion of Elijah's spirit than he's maybe a little bit afraid of what that might mean, maybe a little bit afraid of where that might go, maybe a little bit afraid of what God might ask him to do and he's saying, can you please help me a little bit here?
1: Because I don't
0: know what this looks like. I don't know where he goes, but he chooses intentionally to take up the baton. In our faith, as we follow Christ, we must intentionally choose to take up the baton, to follow him, to accept him as our Lord, to be baptized into him, and to seek him daily. That's where it begins. Many of us, though, are in this position where we have to run the race. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know running the race of faith can be difficult. I mean, it can be hard. There's times when people mock us, they persecute us. I don't really think in America we're all that persecuted. People just may not agree with us and we think that's what it is. But running the race can be hard. Every athlete who runs a relay has to hold on to this baton. If they drop it, if it falls to the ground, their team could be disqualified or they may not win the race. You have to hold on. You've got to carry that baton. But in order to take it up and to carry it, you've got to also be prepared to do that very thing. Elijah continued in the ministry. Elisha continued the ministry of Elijah, carrying the baton. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, and he continued the ministry. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture happens shortly after this, when the bald man Elisha is mocked by a whole bunch of Teenage boys, and he calls down some bears and they maul them, right? Don't make fun of bald people. That's the lesson in that one. Elisha carries on the mantle. He takes up the baton and he says, I'm going to run the race in a similar way. We run the race, Hebrews 12. I'm fascinated by how much God has brought me and our congregation back to Hebrews 12 this year. But Hebrews 12, I want you to see something. Hebrews 12, verse one. In a Greek Orthodox church, they, uh, they have this thing where they intentionally design them as domes. And it's so that it, it, typically everything's painted, the walls are painted, the ceiling's painted. Typically it's some kind of picture of Jesus alive, resurrected at the top of the dome. And surrounding the dome are typically pictures of the saints who have gone before, reminding them of this particular passage. Verse 1, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses around you and who have gone before, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, we run the race. We lay aside everything that might entangle us. If you've ever been to a track meet, you'll see kids or adults right before the race taking off sweatpants and sweatshirts and anything else except tiny little shorts and a tiny little tank top to run. They're getting rid of any weight, anything that might hold them back, anything that they're holding on to that it might be like, oh, I don't know. This might be more important But that's just like sin that easily entangles us and holds on to us. Elisha had to rip his own robes and take them off to take up the robes of the prophet to continue the ministry. There might be times in order to carry a baton, we've got to let go of something else that we think is important. But we run the race. We run the race that Christ has laid out for us. We look to him, the founder and perfection of our faith, and we continue to run. You've heard me say it before, and I will say it again. There is no retirement age on our faith. So many people think, oh, you know, I can stop now. I don't have to do things. I don't have to pursue Christ anymore. But you know this as well as I do. Man, if I stop pursuing Christ, then my life just falls apart. We have to run the race. We have to lay aside the weight and the hindrance and the things that hold us back, and we have to run with perseverance. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about this a little bit, about running a race. One of the things I love about Paul, and it ties us all together here, is that Paul was a fan of the Olympic Games. Right, he loved the games. He talks about them, about wrestling, and, and about fighting, and about running, and all of these things. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? You know that, Right? Every athlete exercises, uh, so run that you may obtain it. Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We run, we train. To carry a baton, you have to be trained. You have to be ready. You have to read the word of God. Taryn came home this week. Two stories in two different days. One day she was so excited because her friend was talking about how she's a Christian. The next day another friend had brought a Bible to school. And her friend who had said, hey, I'm a Christian, looked at at the Bible and said, oh, the Bible. I've never read that. That may be the most disheartening statement I've heard from Christians. Believers. There are far too many who claim the name of Christ and do not spend any time getting to know him. We know the names of all our favorite characters in all our TV shows. We know everybody who's in the election and exactly what they stand for. We know the quotes of every great philosopher. But we don't know John 3.16. We don't take to heart Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I have hidden your word in my heart, O God, that I may not sin against you. If we want to carry the baton of faith, then we better be ready to do it. We, we had better be people who know the word of God, who stand for it and say, How is this impacting me? How is it transforming my mind? We better be people of prayer. That's one thing we want to implement more and more in our services is prayer because, well, we can say all we want, but prayer, man, God does things. People who fast and seek the Lord, if we want to carry the baton, then we have got to prepare ourselves to do it. Every single day. Athletes retire, but we do not. We do not stop training and understanding and knowing what it is to carry the baton of faith. I don't think Elisha ever stopped. But once we have carried the baton for a while, we begin to understand the importance of handing it off. That's what we must do. We must hand off the baton. In a relay race, your job is to take the baton from one runner to the next. Unless you're the last guy, then you never hand it off. You just complete the race. But everybody has the job. Let me hold this little piece of aluminum. Let me give it to the next person so that they can carry it on and they can carry it on until it stops. But the race of our faith never stops. This baton is special to me because Steve gave it to me because he entrusted with me something that he had done for 40 years at our church. And I gave it up after six months. No, I'm just kidding changed. But you know what else I've noticed? I hold the baton, and he still serves. He still works with students. He still pours into ministry here. He still does everything that he ever did. He's just not here every day. Not because he wanted to give it up, but because he loves following Christ and making sure others do as well. In our faith, the difference is, is that we never really give up the baton, but we learn to hand it off to others. I had a conversation about a year and a half ago in a class, and we were talking about batons and faith and these things. And we said, what, what would it look like if everybody who chose to follow Christ, if every time somebody came up out of the waters of baptism were like, here's your baton. Physically, here's your baton, run your race. Don't drop it. What would that look like? What impact would that be? What impact would it be if we all said, you know what, I'm going to run my race well. We're going to carry it, but we have to hand it off as well. Constantly learning, constantly teaching, constantly training. Every student that we ever taught to take a handoff in a track meet, we had to work on it again and again every week. Because that's the role. Elisha watched Elijah go into the sky. He ascended into heaven. The whirlwind took him up. Acts 1, we find another story, very similar. Jesus has been resurrected alive on the earth for 40 days, 40 days. He's been teaching his disciples final thoughts before he leaves the earth, and he gathers them on the mountain. This is what we see. Verse 6, when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this it? Is it time? Is it time to bring it all back? And he said, no, um, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Elisha saw the prophet Elijah go into heaven and he received a double portion of his spirit interesting if you read through 1st and 2nd Kings, there are seven recorded miracles of Elijah. There are 14 recorded miracles of Elisha. Double portion. We don't need a double portion. When Jesus left, he said, I will send the Holy Spirit. Day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and we believe that when you come to follow Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Whom Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave so that the Spirit may come, the counselor, the helper, the one who will guide you to follow me will come. I think there are some times, like Elisha, we're afraid to carry a baton, we're afraid to take it on. We're afraid to do what God has asked us to do, but he says, do it anyway. You're, my Spirit rests in you. It is with you. And so those of us who are in Christ, we know the Spirit, and so we must carry the baton. We must lead our lives of faith. It's important for the body of Christ as a whole, that we never let go of this baton. It is heartbreaking to see people who we know let go of their faith for various reasons, and yet our job is to continue to hold on to the baton, to encourage others to do the same. We can only hand off what's been given to us. From generation to generation, this has been passed on. Do you know why we have a story like Acts 1? Why we have a story of Elijah? Because somebody else said this is important to pass on to you. This is important to hand down from generation to generation. It's important for us to know the stories, to know the word of God, to know that this is true. And to hand it on from one generation to the next. So we take up the baton. How do we do that? Well, we accept Christ. If you've not accepted Christ, then that's the way to start. Take up the baton of faith and follow him. Once you've taken up that baton, then you run your race. It will be hard. It will not be easy. Anybody who has been a Christian, who's a follower of Christ for any amount of time will tell you this is not an easy thing. Running the race of faith can be hard at times. People will make fun of you, and it may be difficult to believe that God is, actually knows what he's doing when I think I know better. But he says, follow me. Carry that baton and run that race, and it doesn't matter what election happened. It doesn't matter who's in charge of your country. God is still on the throne of the kingdom of heaven and we look for eternity. The race that Christ asked us to run wasn't one that he said, take up a baton, but he said, Take up your cross and follow me. And it will be hard. Winston Churchill famously said this: This is the lesson. Never give in, never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Run the race. Carry the baton as long as you can, as hard as you can, and make sure that you run it with endurance, knowing the word of God, knowing that he is transforming your life. Elijah ran to his end and God took him and he never died. Elisha did. But he still ran the race well. The apostles who have gone before us ran the race well. The witnesses who have gone before us, as Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, you are my witnesses. Matthew 28, he said, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You are my witnesses. You're the ones who get to follow. You're the ones who get to seek. You are the ones who continue to hand this off. So we train and we teach and we read and we know the word and we never stop. But then, at some point, we have to hand this off. Our faith is never meant to be held to ourselves. When I have good news, I share good news. Probably too many times. I'm your classic dad overteller story guy. But I love good news. And we have good news. We share good news. And that good news comes in the name of Jesus Christ. That he died for us to save us and he rose again. That he took the punishment of our sin that we might be free from the chains and the bondage that holds us. That heaven held its breath knowing that something big was happening. We hand that baton off. My number one job in my life is to follow Christ hard and to hand this faith off to my children that they may know him and seek him and to hand it off after I've given it to them and they understand who he is and continue to raise them in the faith then I get to hand it off to my neighbors and my friends and I work at a church so hopefully my coworkers follow Jesus but I hand it off. Everyone and everywhere gets the opportunity to carry the baton of faith because I'm not keeping it to myself. That's our job. We run the race, we carry it. We know who Christ is and we hand off the baton. As followers of Jesus, that's our job. And I hope you have somebody in mind that needs a baton, that needs to know what Jesus did for them. In the story of Elijah and Elisha, we see one man handing on a ministry to another. One man passing on the job of carrying on the ministry to another, of faith from one generation to the next. In the apostles, we see Jesus saying, now go, it's your turn. And it's our turn. If you've never taken up the baton, if you've never accepted him, then you need to do that. If you've dropped it, pick it back up and carry it on. Seek him first. But make sure that you hand it off. And make sure somebody else knows who Jesus is because of you. Father, help us daily to never look back. But to always run this race forward seeking you, knowing you, alive in you. God, help us. Help us to carry the faith like Elijah and to pass it on. Help us to take up a baton like Elisha and to continue a ministry. God, help us to be your hands and feet. May your spirit convict and if we need to follow you, if nobody in this, somebody in this room has not chosen that, that they would follow God, if they have, that they would think of the next person to hand the baton off to. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with, with me, please? Uh, if you have a decision to make today, maybe to follow Christ for the first time, if you actually have a name of somebody that you want to pray with, that if you pray over, somebody that you're like, they need it, I'd love to pray with you. <laughs> I'll be right up here. We can pray in these chairs. Roger's in the back. He'll pray with you. You know, under this floor, are hundreds of names under this carpet of people who do not know Jesus. And maybe you wrote one of those names several years ago and maybe they still don't know him. If that's the case, and I would encourage you as we sing to pray for that person. Look for those opportunities that they may know Christ. If you've never accepted him, this is a great time to do that. So as we sing, think of those who don't know Christ figure out how you can help point them to Him.